Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Torishek podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Uh, we need your support. There's a link right there at the top of the podcast you're listening to, and it says patreon.com forward slash Torishek. Click on that and join us for a month. It's the easiest bit of activism you can do. The few quid you throw us helps us keep the mics on and have the conversations like the one you're about to listen to. We've no ads, we've no sponsors, we stumble on, and we only survive because of the generosity of you, dear listeners. If you don't have the few quid, no problem. The podcast is free for you to listen to anyway, and the people who are throwing you the few quid, they're helping us to keep it free. But I know I say it a lot, independent media matters, these little platforms matter, and I know lots of people get something out of this, and this is an easy way to give something back. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshek. I'll stop rabbiting on now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves, and every now and then we get to do in-person podcasts. I get to sit down and talk with a guest who I've wanted to speak to, and it always brings the best out of me. But unfortunately, today, Martin is here with us as well. <laughs> See, it's so unusual these, these days to hear your voice in person, Tony. It really is unusual. We, we, Kevin Cunningham was here the other day, and we had a huge deep dive into how polls are... You know how how they're editorialized, or are they editorialized? Who's paying for them? Where's what? What's the what's the gist of them? And it was much better without you. Uh-huh. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much. But you know, it's a special occasion because you managed to get out of bed before two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, no, Joe Duffy hasn't even started. Yeah, and he's here to see his old friend, his old, uh, his old, his old. Um, Sparring partner and occasional occasional friend, uh, trade unionist activist, and uh, we last time you were here, Brendan, we described you as firebrand, wasn't it? And uh, Brendan Ogle, how are you? That was only to my face. Yes, yeah, that was, that was all. That was on air. We didn't yeah. say that. We said much worse off. How are you keeping? First of all, Brendan, how is the health? If you don't mind us asking, uh, I'm just I'm doing well, Tony uh, and Martin. I was uh, <coughs> thinking coming here this morning about a year or so ago we did our. Two crocs in the sun. Yeah, the and you're looking, actually, you're looking, it's, it's horrible to say, a handsome bastard for 50 cents. I, I eventually reached puberty and grew a beard. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're going to head off on a, a reunion tour for Boyzone or Westlife, to be honest with you. you know, you've yeah, got... but the singing voice isn't what it was, though, so I don't think I don't think that's on the cards. But I'm, I'm feeling good, yeah. Um, look, at, I, I, nobody uh, takes anything for granted in life these days, I think, you know individuals have been through things and the country's been through pandemics so i think everybody has just been the best that they can be and i'm 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 i'm, I'm trying to be that physically i feel good and and fingers crossed but you've to been, stay like that and i'm sorry to pick on you but you've been through a lot you've had a, like i mean when we talk about <coughs> when we were downstairs me and you were talking about covid and how can't like when, when in years to come we have to explain to, to kids and grandkids mm, like mm, what no. it was like it was insane and you also had like everybody we all had we all had loss but you also had in your own personal battle your own illness and your own personal tragedies must coming out the other side of it you do look like a man has more of a glint in his eye but like has it are you a different person i i don't yeah i you know tony it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a dream um the last few years of of my life up until yeah, but I think I lost about two years of my life in a, in some sort of a dream, mm-hmm. um, and COVID was the the surround sound to it. But to me, it was surround sound. Mm. Um, you know, as I, as as I've said before, you know, my sister passed away. A very 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 close relationship with her, and a few weeks later, my mum passed away. Uh, and COVID then happened. I think we think my mum was probably one of the first people in Ireland to, to die of COVID, the fifth, we think, actually, but we never know exactly. But mm. then it was that time. Mm. Uh, and then, um, you know, I was I was still back at work managing Unite and managing the COVID regulations, which wasn't easy. Um, wasn't easy for anybody. And then I was diagnosed with cancer myself um, a year or so after that. And you went through a year of, of, of that and, you know, all that goes with it. There was surgery, there was the various treatments, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. And then, yeah. So what did I do since I last met you? I went to Argentina for a month. Looked fabulous. I did. Oh, Jesus. Can I? Uh, it was amazing. Can, let's go there for a minute just because. Oh, like, let's stay there. <laughs> but, but, but you get... You're a you're a, a committed trade unionist, right? Yeah. You're someone who cares about workers' rights. You're someone who cares about decreasing inequality. And when you arrive in Argentina, you probably have dollars in your pocket, and you're 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 a god in terms of your financial purchasing power. 
what is it like to see that kind of um you know there is such a gap between the the you know the rich and the poor yet there seems to be a phenomenal um a phenomenally vivacious and, and alive civic society as well you know just because the headline rights we always hear about Argentina in the headline rights is like you know economic basket case needs another bailout currency isn't worth anything and everybody I know who goes talks about this incredible experience and how you know they travel all across South America and if they could go back to one place it's Argentina yeah well look at one of the other things I am is a, a very very big football fan yeah and um, the World Cup was coming up and um, the uh, I was in Qatar, so I wasn't going to be going there. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've always been a fan for football reasons. Let's not talk about tax and things, but for football reasons, I've always been a, a fan of Lionel Messi and all mm. that sort of stuff. And so I kind of said to Mandy, I want to go, to, if, I, if I get through this, if I get a good result, mm. I was expecting one of my... Uh, quarterly uh, things with the, with the hospital. If I get through that, I, I want to go to Argentina for the World Cup. Let's go. Hmm. So it built up some leave. So off we went. And yeah, we actually had dollars in our in our uh, pocket. Um, we didn't need to have, as we found out. Mm-hmm. The, Euro, the Euro was just as... as uh, the purchase in Paris still As a fact, it's a little bit more, actually. Yeah. Um, so we didn't need to get the dollars. So if you're thinking of going to Argentina and somebody tells you to take dollars, you don't need to just go with yours. Um but we went with dollars. Um, we had, actually flew through Miami. Mm. Um, so we literally went, went tr- from the United States. And we had uh, hired an, uh, an apartment, a rooftop apartment in a, in a part of Argentina called San Telmo. And we kind of had done a bit, of, a bit of work on it beforehand. Um, we weren't just going randomly. Um, San Telmo in Buenos Aires, that is. Um, and it's, it's close to Boca. It's the next district to Boca. Mm. Uh, and we wanted to be somewhere like that. Mm. We didn't want to be in Palermo, which is just kind of like another European city or whatever, yeah. which is fine, but we wanted to. So we went to uh, San Telmo and San Telmo is um, where tango was invented. Actually, the bar okay. is still there and they do all that stuff. So I'm not into that myself. But um, yeah, so when we arrived first, we met uh, Fernando, the guy that who's, who, who we had hired the apartment of. He was a um, farmer. But he had this apartment in Buenos Aires, which he rents out. And we didn't know what uh, was going on with money. It was the middle of the day. And um, he told us he get, that there was a, a shop, a kiosk, mm. like kioscos. Um, and he showed us where one was on a map. And he said to just go and change maybe $200, $300 uh, as it was. And... The Argentine peso at the time was around, I think it was 320 pesos for mm. $1. So we literally got a, a brick of cash. Yep. Now, the really interesting thing about, which I loved, they don't want to see you coming with a bank card. Mm. Nobody wants to see you. The hotels don't want to see you coming in a bank card because we stayed an extra few days and actually booked into a hotel when Argentina won the World Cup to be there for the homecoming and things. So... The, the hotel doesn't want the bank card. Mm. It's all black market stuff. It's all cash. We loved it. <laughs> uh, none of this tap, tap, tap stuff. Yeah. Walking around with bricks of cash yeah. stuffed down your uh, short pockets. Um, Chase must be, feel like a feel of fall or what? What do you call the guy with the Dublin City Council years ago? We ended up going to jail. Maybe we can't say. <laughs> <laughs> Dunlop. It felt like Frank Dunlop. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but there is a move. There, there is a move in the in across South America and, and Argentina, Lua in Brazil, um, uh, Colombia. All the de-dollarization. Is is they're trying to do it? They yeah. seriously can want to do it. They want to move off that um, that that that. You talked about sphere. poverty. We didn't. Yeah, we didn't on, see. Um, and I've been to places where there's been poverty. Um, but you know, and we weren't in a posh part of Buenos Aires by any means. Buenos Aires is a huge city, fifteen million people, mm. um, and it's kind of like about eight cities in one. Yeah, they're different pa- parts of it look completely different to other parts of it. Mm. Um, but. You know, we found the people uh, happy, healthy. There were some people sleeping on the streets, but no more than you see here. Mm. Um, and um, the food was just off the charts. You know, um, the, the the steak and the wine, and uh, I might have had a Malbec or two when mm. I was there. Uh, I might have had two every night, maybe. Um, we didn't find... Now, look, when you walk through Baca, and I did walk through Baca, I got drunk one night and got lost in Baca. Mm. 
um, did I feel a little bit unsafe for five minutes? Yeah, the way I feel when I'm walking down O'Connell Street. Um, I would disagree on this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah I know we disagree alone. on that, but but, but I'm right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, we didn't. We loved it. Um, we were there in total for five weeks. We were supposed to be there for four weeks, and then, as I say, Argentina won the World Cup, and uh, Mandy was in bed one morning, and I got up early, and I went behind her back and changed the flights. Okay, um, cost <laughs> as us, you do, cost us a fortune. It, it wasn't supposed to, but it all got very mixed up. Um, and absolutely loved it. It was December. We arrived back home Christmas Eve, actually. So it was, and that's peak summer there. Mm, I know. Yeah. So we're coming back here Christmas Eve into the rain and the misery and the whole lot. Um, and even that is a bit like a dream uh, now because I feel I sometimes I, it's hard to believe we were there but we have the photographs mm. and we have the evidence all over the apartment so we were there um, and I'd love to go back anybody gets a chance to visit and the mad thing about it is people would say this is not Brendan and it kind of is we never left Buenos Aires for the five weeks <laughs> we went with ideas that we'll go to Montevideo mm. we might go to Cordoba uh, we might go uh, up into the mountains down to see a glacier there's lots of things you can do yeah, yeah. Um, we just we never left Buenos Aires and it, you say it, time. It, it looks like a dream now and you were talking about cancer and that the cold cancer experience is like a a dream in the past you know that's self-protection that's your body telling you <laughs> forget about it because if you keep remembering it you put it very well it dies and it grows back something else. Yeah, yeah. And this, I've, I've said this before, cancer cuts you right back to the nub and then you grow differently. Yeah, I think that's right. And you've grown differently. I think that's right too, yeah. And you have grown yeah. differently. Where are your priorities at now? Well, let's not talk about the war, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not quite sure what the answer to that question is. Uh, it, I'm glad listening to Tony introducing me there. Um, and thanks, Tony, all joking aside for the way you introduced me there, because you, I think you said what, what I see myself as. Mm. I'm a trade unionist. I'm an activist. I'm mm-hmm. somebody that, has, that fights against inequality, that believes we should have a fair society, a, a redistribution of wealth downwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's not what I do. That's who I am. Uh, and it, 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 I just want, you know, if if I, if I got hit by a bus, mm. um, I'd like to be remembered as that's who he was. Mm. And yeah, he was a cranky bollocks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he liked a bit of football and he maybe drank a bit too too many beers the odd time. And, and, fairy, and, all that as well. and can we say enough. very cranky bollocks? Well, you, well, well, he might be able to, but you can't. Not unless we're into a pot kettle situation. <laughs> he certainly can. Jesus, on, on a scale of one to Martin McMahon, you're only a four. <laughs> <laughs> no, not even in the pot. Uh, uh, that's unreal coming from you. But you're, you're, you're not... I don't know what the plan is. You're, you're not now neck deep in in union stuff. You're able to stand back. Have you noticed that? You're, you're well. You're able to stand back and look a bit more objectively at the Irish union movement and, and where it's going. Has your views changed on it with cancer with everything? My views have certainly changed on the Irish union movement. Yeah, but I'm I, I'm not going to say too much about that at the moment. There will be a time when I will. All right, anyway. fair enough. Brandon, I might I might fair. do more than say. Can we? Uh, can we? I'm probably d- right. But yes, my views on the Irish trade union movement have been fundamentally changed in the last twelve months. Um, but uh, there's some of the bigger issues that are going on at the moment, though. This my views still inform hmm. uh, how I see some of the bigger issues going on at the moment, and and. For example, you know, uh, the the RTE situation is, that has taken over the airways. But to me, that's not about RTE, really. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, I don't really care about Ryan Tuberty. Uh, and I don't mean that in a good or a bad way. I don't have any strong feelings about the man one way or the other. I've met him once or twice. He seems that he was a quite pleasant man when I met him. But And I don't care whether Ryan Tuberty is back on the radio or whether he's not back on the radio. What's the difference between Ryan Tuberty and any of the rest of them? I don't care. Mm. What I do care about, though, is there are lessons. And I think I see it as part of old Ireland falling away. Like, first of all, you know, you know, the, the power of the church and all that fell away. And we've seen what we've seen, we've seen what the, the horrors that were uncovered in that process. And one of the, one of the institutions of Ireland is RTE. And it has been obvious to me and to you, Martin, I know, mm-hmm. and to other people, I think, for some time, that there's weird things going on in RTE for years. Mm. Never mind about flip-flops, right? Do mind about it, but that's not where it's at. That's yeah, not where yeah, it's yeah. at. You know, this idea that people are talking down to us for decades on salaries 
which and on contracts which are designed as a tax avoidance measure. Mm-hmm. Let's not call it anything else. No, no, that, that, that's yeah. why. That's why it's designed mm-hmm. as a tax avoidance measure, and then people like me and other people go on and to do interviews with these people. Um, and people design whole shows. You mentioned one earlier, five minutes ago there, just coming on, comes on a quarter two. Whole shows where the nation is finger wagged at. Mm-hmm. You know, every day of the week, every week of the year. And we're all told what we should be doing better. And suddenly we discover then, when we lift up the lid, that all of this super duper salaries, recklessness with public expenditure, lack of governance, unprofessional behavior people living in silos um and and crazy stuff is going on and i think that to me is symbolic of a, of our of ireland itself it's, actually it's, or of, a, of an ireland i hope is dying Con- constantine gordiev on this podcast a few weeks ago said there was a big difference between um two things were going on and it, it didn't mean just rte he meant there's a, there's a culture of people who were paid and then there's a culture, then there's the other people who, who earn their salaries. Yeah. Right. And we have this soft corrosive corruption that's taken place. But here's the issue back to the union at, at RTE. Mm. If a gobshite podcaster like me was aware of sharp practice in RTE for yeah. a number of years, Brandon, and now it took this to actually get the union to go out and actually make, you know, make a stand. I think that's wrong because the, it, the union should have been should have been calling for these issues to be to dealt with years ago. Like, as I said, I, I have no skin in the game. I've, I've had 15 minutes on, on RTE over, over, over six. You know what I mean? That's my, mm. that's my relationship with that organization. I believe in public service broadcasting. Mm. I believe it should be separated from corporate interests. It's one of the reasons why we fight ferociously to make sure we keep telling everybody, by the way, Tortoise Shack has no ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm. We're completely yeah. independent. We don't rely on anybody to, 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 Make sure that, you know, we're pulling punches then. Because you, I feel you have that. And it's the slow creep. Yet the NUJ are now coming out. And people going, oh, aren't they doing great work now? Doing great work now. And okay, maybe they are. But where were you? Mm. Where were you the last well, few years when I knew actors getting paid, as they told me, less than they spent on the flip-flops? Yeah. Well, as, a, as, as, as someone who has spent a bit of time down through the years in RTE, it's funny. It's funny. I spend less time in RTE now. Mm. Since I had to sue them to clear my name for defamation successfully, mm, yeah. um, I, I seem to spend a lot less time on it now. So when Ryan Tuberty is 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 uh, regaling the Public Accounts Committee with with his care- concerns about cancelling, you know, RTE do a fair bit of cancelling too, mm. and for pretty poor reasons. Um, so there's that kind of part of it. But what, what's also a part of it, and I support public service broadcasting too. But what's also part of it is, as a, as an interviewee, mm. and I've been interviewed down through the years by Marion Finucan, who I used to, who, who I quite liked, um, and who was always very fair to me. They've all almost all been very fair to me. I had a difficult one with Sean O'Rourke once, but it was a great interview. I've been interviewed by Ryan Tuberley. I've been interviewed by Pat Kenny when he was there. I've been interviewed by Jerry Ryan. I've been interviewed by 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 Philip. Them all. And, and they haven't always been easy interviews because when you put yourself out there mm-hmm. on your own behalf or on behalf of an organisation, on behalf of workers, on behalf of homeless people, the Apollo House time, mm. that's what they defame me over, by the way, having the temerity to break into Apollo House. Um, so <clears throat> when, when... Which you did do, though. Which I did do. It's not defamation. I didn't do what they, what they defame me for. No, I know, I know. <laughs> but but like, the like, point like to make... You, when, were, you, were the guy, you were the guy who, who, who opened the door. When I came in, that's right, when I came in to you, when I come into you, Tony, mm. we're here. Uh, if you've never met Tony and Martin, and, uh, we're here in Tony's man cave, right? <laughs> and Tony's wife is downstairs, and Tony's kids are downstairs, and there's a there's a there's a dog, and there's cats around the place, and and you know where you are, mm. and you know who you're dealing with, and you know what you're dealing with, and when when Tony asks you a question or when Martin asks you a question, you know you don't feel as if you're being, you know, uh, you know what you're dealing with, and and I think as an interviewee people be interviewed their lives can change on something they might say in a split second mm. yes um they can make a mistake i've done that in the past they can say the wrong thing they can they can you know it can be damaging to their career it can be damaging to their <coughs> health it can cause harm so i think the interviewees are entitled to know mm. that the person interviewing them and the institution interviewing them have got 
the highest standards themselves. Because mm. if you're prepared to be held to account and maybe take risks with your life or with your health or with your career, uh, then the people interviewing you need to be meeting a certain standard. And I think as an interviewee, we've, we've heard a lot about the staff, mm. and rightly so. We've heard a lot about the people involved themselves, the top 10. I'm sick hearing about the top 10. Mm. We've heard about how the public trust is gone. Well, I kind of am a bit inter inter interested in how people who get interviewed by RTE and have their lives changed by RTE feel now about the fact that the institution that did that wasn't in a moral position to take anybody down themselves. Mm. If you're going to go out and try to take people down, then be in a moral position to hold those people to account. And when people talk about the trust, the trust is lost in RTE. That's what I, that's the trust I mean. Like I'm, I'm, I'm engaging with, with, with um, the, 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 a journalist online and Twitter on and off um, who seems to think that Ryan should be back on air. And maybe he should be back on air. As I say, I don't really care. But the, the question is this. Is the person interviewing me, holding me to account, entitled to ask the question they ask? And if they're not, aren't I likely to hit back at that interviewer mm. and say, you've a hard neck to ask me that question, yes. given what we now know about you. And that's, I think, the but, judgment call that RTE have to make now. But that judgment call should have... Uh, like Should have been always there. Exactly. So, so it, it's, it, we want people to be interviewed in good faith and re returned, that good faith returned. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas what we have quite often is we know, like, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's soul destroying sometimes. And this is not to pick on people, but let's just go for a real life example. Everybody knows, not everybody knows, everybody listening to this podcast probably clued in enough to know that Claire Byrne was an active member of Young Fine Gael for most of her formative years. Now, it shouldn't be controversial to say that. It shouldn't be controversial to, shouldn't be casting aspersions on, yet we get told, oh no, that's just mean, Tony. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, hang on, if we're going to have this conversation about people, where their politics are, and we, we want to, you know, have independent journalism and, and, and it means what it says, well, then we have to look at it in the round. This is where this person's politics were formed. This is now, as you said, is now someone who's availing of a tax avoidance um, employment structure. You know, all of these things in the round. We have to look at the person in the full. Mm. And what we, what we find for example, is, you know, and again, Bauer Media. I've a lot of issues with Bauer Media. I think that, you know, I thought it was crazy that, you know, we all said, uh, oh, it's great. Dennis O'Brien is pulling out. No one said, did you ever look at Bauer Media and how they used to publish Nazi newspapers? <laughs> you know, um, but nonetheless, we have to look at, at that and say, well, actually, within News Talk, for example, Pat Kenny earns a multiple what anybody else earns. And there's people in News Talk working their arse off, as, as you know. And, and I never say anything nice about News Talk. No, you don't. No, never say anything nice I about News Talk. But now, now we're going to have a fight. <laughs> <laughs> but but I have, but I, you know, I know that there's researchers working in there and they're working yeah, their arse off. Yeah, and absolutely. They're, they're yeah. doing all, all of the people it. I know. Can, yeah. Can I just say, but the, and you've both spoke, spoken about a national broadcaster and the role of a national broadcaster. Now, I've been saying this for a very long time. How can a national broadcaster not pull its punches when it has a mega bill to the state that everybody's trying to hide and to surreptitiously get paid under the table without the public knowing that this is a bill for doing wrong. Now, you guys are saying avoidance. I will say straight up evasion because I know what it is. And I'm saying, no, it was never a national broadcaster. It's a mouthpiece for the government. And I really like Orty way more than I like news time, which is altogether worse. But no, I don't see it as a national broadcaster. I see it as a government broadcaster. And I think the fact that they now owe many, many millions to the state is leverage that the state are using against RT to get their side out and shut everybody else up. Well, what do you say then, Martin, to the, to, I'll ask, the, I'll ask you a question. Uh, what do you say then to the, the argument that um, the people who are luxuriating in this, this issue the most at the moment our government themselves, that the government are loving the fact that we're not talking about homelessness, we're not talking You're about the health service, the government are loving these Oireachtas committees because everybody's the, talking about somebody else Brendan, except them. The, the mother and baby home redress scheme passed without a whisper. Yeah. 
that took down the server when when it when it was announced. It took down the doll server because people were so upset about it, and it passed without even a mention because we were obsessed about Marty Morrissey's five year okay. Renault car. I know, I know, we're obsessed, and we like a little bit of salacious. And the old slush fund is the old bit of salacious. But those who know know that's not really the story. But you have politicians sitting up there, not a one of them with their books straight themselves thinking that they can ask questions. Everybody in that room is tainted. Every single person in that room is tainted. The politicians are putting Hang together... Hang on, no, 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 no. You're just putting this on the basis that they didn't ask the questions you want to ask. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, we, we look at the property register. How many politicians... I mean, there was the chairperson of the media committee hadn't declared properties she had to rent. So... We're, we're talking oh, yeah, about... We had, whole, we, had, we had to listen to Niall Collins lecture RTE after Niall Collins. Okay, so we're talking a whole layer of people who play the system and know the system is being played. But is that not Brendan's point, that it's it's not just RTE? It speaks to... It's a bit of Ireland. It's, yes, it speaks to... I, see, here's where I disagree with you. And here's <laughs> where I disagree with you. And you know this is a trade union. It's the vast majority of people get up go to work on time, do their day's work, come home, pay their bills and take care of their family. They're not playing these games, Brendan. But that's that, but the Ireland vast majority run, Ireland was never run by the vast majority of people. But we are the people who run this country. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. No, we're not. Anytime we want, we can get rid of those people we, in there. We may be the people who should run the country. Yes. And we may be the people who, if we ever used them, have the tools available to us to run the country. But the fact of the matter is, since independence and before it, a small coterie of professional classes ran this country for the British and have run this country for the Irish since independence. Can't, a small can't deny it. Can't deny so it. we should be the people who run the country. So we can't get people to vote. But in, t- in terms of in terms of going back to to um, you know, does it suit the government parties? Does it suit the government at the moment to have all this going on? You know, I I I think it does. But the issue that you're I think touching on, Martin, is the and I, I will say something this, you know, the bogus self-employment um, is a huge issue and it's been uncovered in RTE. It's been exposed. It hasn't been uncovered. You've been no. uncovering it for years and so have others, but you've done amazing work on it. <clears throat> but it's been exposed now in RTE. Um, I knew for years hmm. that there was baby blue, that there was clad a green, that there was all these, you know, I knew that for years, hmm. but the majority of the public didn't seem to know that, but now they do. Um, but that model of um, operating huge sections of the economy hmm. uh, through bogus self-employment, which in bogus self-employment is tax avoidance. That's what it is. Evasion. Um, and it, it doesn't ha- happen by accident. No, it doesn't. It happens with the support of politicians, of institutions, of organized labor in some, in some, some senses. Um, and it's, it's, it's rampant. It is rampant. But, but Brendan, back to the point then, I think it's, an, it's, an, it's a good point to come in on this, is the, is the fact that if our economy is built on tax avoidance, which it is, mm. okay, to the tune of defrauding other countries, billions of euro, right? If that's what our economy is built on, it's easy enough to see why people don't have a problem with 75 grand on, on, a, on a sweetener, because there's an element of when you're mm. at that level, when you're in that, as you as you quite rightly point out, there's maybe the top four or five percent, then they're serviced by the, the, the next 15 to 20 percent. Mm. And their job is to do two things. It's to convince everybody else that this is that this is how to, we have to do it. We have no alternative. And then their job is also to filter the money up. Mm. Right. So that's whether it's been done through, you know, because time and time again, we see these problems. We commission a report and someone from one of the big four. Uh, auditing houses goes in to audit and find out why one of the other members of the big four got it wrong for the last decade right so that's that is literally the equivalent of of martin saying tony listen i've got a complaint in here will you be my complaint handler and he's going to be my complaint handler this is the sort of stuff that happens and we just shrug and we get on with it so it, it is actually endemic it's absolutely it is ireland martin well you, you take it for instance when i was in the pac in 21 I gave them the evidence that they needed to have. And off the back of that, there's a record, there's a recommendation for a fully independent outside interview or, or investigation into revenues part of labeling all workers in one sector as self-employed. Now, that's against the law. You simply can't do it. They made this recommendation in 21. It sat there. And now RT has come up. So we've gone from one industry now to another industry where this is happening. And revenue's making the decisions on what RT is getting to pay. But revenue's already tainted. And there should have been an investigation already into revenue. 
about what revenue is doing. Now I'm saying, look, RT is no different to the construction sector. It's no different to the National Geological Survey, where they're all self-employed. It's no different to mental health counsellors working for charities, all, all self-employed. You know, the idea that there is anybody out there who has the moral ground to deal with it is there just isn't it doesn't exist well, it doesn't it? exist well i'm i'm kind of compelled to agree with you on that point um because there's the tax avoidance like the the tax haven stuff mm. that you refer to tony some of the largest corporations in the world you know washing their money through us and paying little or no tax here there's that tax avoidance uh, and then there's the tax avoidance of of people who are effectively employed in, in any sense that we would recognise, but are treated as if they're not, to get huge amounts of money off the books and all that sort of stuff. And then there's the tax avoidance in terms of there's the whole sectors of the economy based on construction you've, t- you've touched upon. There's a huge amount of bogus self-employment in the construction sector. So, and that's a huge sector of the economy, as we know. So whole sections of the economy uh, built on that. And, you know, none of these things have happened by accident. So you, if you, and, and you would look to the revenue commissioners to say, well, surely the revenue commissioners, if they know this is going on, will sort it out. But unfortunately, it would appear not. Uh, it would appear that there is no political party that we've had in government throughout our lifetimes, and we're all more or less around the same age, decade-wise anyway, who have said, this is enough, we're not playing ball with this. Um, you asked questions about the unions, uh, Tony. I don't know what the unions are doing on bogus self-employment. It's not something that that, that, that I see them uh, having marches and demonstrations and, and strikes about. Um, so... I don't know. I don't know uh, how it's going to be fixed. Well, I can tell you. Uh, I, 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 I can tell you. I Mark. have some. I think some. I do think some people on the, some of the politicians have done a decent job on the Oireachtas committees in exposing some of this. Okay. Can I can I push back on both of you and say it doesn't matter what we say and, and how you know? Obviously, I'd like to see a more radical union movement. Like I, I was in the, I was in down to Talbot Street and sat with the workers from Iceland and the Independent Workers Union were in there. They're a little bit more, uh, how do I put this, militant. And I thought that talk, word for them. And um, and what what when you're sitting in these rooms and you're talking to these people, you'd love to see that that there was more enough concern. But no one cared about those workers. Where was their day in the PAC? Where was their day with you know? And that's following on from Debenhams. That's following on from Clearies. And I'll tell you why. Right, because in the last two days, for the first time in history, <laughs> and this is for you nerds out there, um, Ireland's uh, Gini, the GNI, Gini, yeah, 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 when you when you swap it out for GDP, our GDP is now twice what our our Gini coefficient is. So that's how big of a of a tax avoidance sector we have in this. Martin, country. It's just yeah. it's 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 the type of when you look at the richest countries in the world now. It's apparently it's Luxembourg, Ireland, yeah. and Norway. Just. Only Norway is actually rich. The other two are tax havens. Just before all those horrible things you had that, that happened, that we started the, the the discussion with, you know, you, you talked to me about something else once. It was a, a document we produced in Unite. Um, mm. Hungry, Hungry bellies. bellies, yeah, and that was about the Gini coefficient and an, and an effort by the Irish Times and Seamus Coffey at the time, um, Pat to, Leahy, Pat Leahy, to 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 project that. Um, Ireland was 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 getting on top of, and actually, with the gap between those who have and those who haven't was closing, and deprivation was a thing of the past. And you know, we so we know us walking around, we know from our families, we know from our communities that that simply was not the case, and is not the case. It's worse now again. Um, and now we're starting to see the, the the data coming out and the graphs coming out that show the difference between, you know, I heard a radio interview last week where they nearly told us by accident that we're in technical recession. But we they, are. They, they kind of buried it then. But we have been in, in te- seconds. We have been in technical no, no, recession. Yeah. If I can. But we don't really know what's but, going but, on. But you put it the question to, oh, what's the... Um, the UK economist, oh, what's her name? She's fabulous. And apologies, I can't think of her name. But you said, well, the UK is in a technical recession. Do you recall what she said to you? Yeah, that means that it's poor people are in a recession. No, she actually, said, she actually said to you, there's no fucking, so, she swore, there's no such fucking thing as, as a technical, technical recession. recession. Yeah. We're in recession. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. And and I heard the interview last week. I think I won't name the station because I might get it wrong. And I'm listening to this. And then the person actually said, "Well, we're in technical recession." And it was, but we can't be. It was. I, I do remember who it was. It was an RTE. We can't can be in technical recession. Well, nobody really knows what's going on. We can't explain it. No, you know, we can but, explain but it. it. People 
People are struggling. I, People I are struggling very, very hard. I tell you what's happening: wages aren't high enough, and costs are too high. Mm. It's bloody easy to explain. Actually, actually, when you say costs are too high, now the cost of everything. Okay, and the costs in this country we know are far in excess of everywhere else, and everybody's going higher. Well, I mean, you know, your children's hospital is costing so much because there are layers and layers and layers of contracting, subcontracting, sub-subcontracting, and everybody has to take a profit. And that's why it's so goddamn expensive. One of the reasons it's so goddamn expensive. When you talk about the Gini coefficient, I remember Labour in government, and when they came out the other side, I had a Labour person who had been in government saying, Look at the Gini coefficient. We achieved X, Y, and Z. And I'm going, but the Gini coefficient at the very best is an indicator. In a country like ours where you can't trust GDP or GDP or or that one either. (laughs) It's nothing. But we have, and this comes back to the kind of national broadcaster, the kind of borough media, that they will leap on something like genie and ram it down our throats for five years when very quickly you can just google it and it'll tell you i can't really rely on this mm. as an indicator of the health of your economy but, we won't even, but you can't even admit on, on the national broadcast you can't say ireland is a tax haven they get very upset you i'll do, give yeah. you a really really good example of this we have interviewed a nobel prize nominated economist uh, Dirigi Alamehu, and they don't want to talk to him because I've put it to the end they're saying because he will go on and he'll say Ireland uh, illicit what he calls illicit financial flows are, are hurting economies like say Kenya and mm, places mm. and they don't want to talk to him and but they will get in the likes of Seamus Coffey the likes of Roman yeah. Lyons the likes of like I get really again this is not to personalise it but I always get you know Martin to say to me you need to you have a beef with David McWilliams and I say yeah because I find that he's very much the uh the status quo maintenance crew just does enough to, mm. to you know to, mm. to 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 not upset the managerial class and keep everybody else on there. And I think that's a, we Jesus. I want to. I want. I want uh, the union movement to be more radical. I want young people to be more radical. I, I was talking to Holly Cairns and she was talking. She did a whole pitch about why people should join the sock dams mm. and I let her finish. And I said, before you do any of that, become a proper activist. Get your arse out. You know, I, I rolled in, and, and uh, so I don't know how that message went down. I'm sure I'll hear from listeners later. But you get my point, Brendan. That's mm. where you need to be first and foremost. I, I I want to say this about the trade union movement, though. In general, people generally don't get this. The trade union movement is workers coming together and those workers are citizens of Ireland there is nothing automatic about the trade union movement being a left let alone a radical thing in fact were it to be so it would be bizarre because it would not then be a reflection of the workers of Ireland the Irish people are not a left thinking or a radical people. Mm. So were we to have a left-thinking or a radical trade union movement, it would not be a reflection of Irish workers, and it would be bizarre. Sometimes, on occasions, we get the trade union movement or elements of the trade union movement doing left and radical things, Mm. right? Sometimes. The water charges campaign is an example, okay? That happens not because... um, there is a groundswell of concern from trade union members bottom up mm. um, pushing the trade unions into a campaign such as that. That happens almost accidentally when there might be an accident, an accidental collaboration of two or three or four trade union leaders in that case who come together with an idea and who are then able to win that argument in the organisations and a campaign emerges. That's what happens there. And and but but you know, in unions, unions represent nurses, mm. unions represent bankers. My wife works in a banking union. Mm. Does anybody think that the members that she represents are radical leftists? So why would her union be a radically left union? Our union uh, represents people in the ESB. Mm. Our union represents people in the financial sector. Our union represents people in the construction sector. Is there anything inertly left or radical about the workers in the SB, 
in finance or in construction. No, there isn't. So why then, how then, by what accident of happen chance would those organisations or that movement uh, turn out to be radical? What's needed and, and, and what really can make a difference is if those people understand, and I think this is where the national conversation uh, plays a malign influence, if those people understand that whether you're in construction, whether you're in finance, whether you're in energy, wherever you're working, the likelihood is that relative to the top earners in the country, your earnings and the earnings of your children and your grandchildren are getting proportionately less, mm. generationally speaking. And that's and if people start to understand that, they might that start to understand then, well, we better bloody well do something about this. Not because we're left or because we're radical, mm. because we're losing. That's and and I think that's where the econ- the economists that you're speaking of, you know, need to be brought onto the national airwaves and aren't being. That's why you know whenever you whenever you go on and say we're a tax haven on News Talk or Today FM or or or, or, or RT, you'll immediately be shut down. Yep. If you say it on social media, the the, the Finnegale bots will immediately be all over. Here's all over. Graphs, the the Finnegale bots that we pay for, what, by the way. Well, you're happier than you've ever oh, been. Okay, can I, <clears throat> I, I? I've listened to your view of the union. There's a different view. There's a view. There's a there's a view of the union movement that is this. Right. There's a view of the union movement that the union movement is an inherently radical uh, team of hundreds of thousands of of militant workers who have been held back in their militancy from changing the country overnight uh, by bureaucrats such as me. That's called Trotskyism, and it's completely false. Okay, okay. I, from, you know I've years and years of experience of dealing with unions and not always good. And not always Not good. ever good. If, 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 if any you've ever said to me, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When was it so, ever good? So, from it, your point of view. The Irish trade union movement is not just conservative in its membership. It's conservative throughout. It's conservative all the way up to it. I'm not conservative. The movement. John Douglas wasn't conservative. There can be individuals within it, Brandon. wasn't. Yes, that's right. That's the point I'm making. There can be individuals, but it is an inherently conservative movement. It was set up to be conservative. Irish trade unions were an afterthought. I mean, they were... I don't disagree with you. They were an. Like, it it was basically I, I agree with the rest of the world. Way. The rest of of Europe and the developing world has trade unions. God, we better have a few. Asha will appoint a few of these people and we'll make trade. That's how Irish trade union came. Well, about. I think Jim Larkin might have something to do. With yeah, he lost his first campaign, by the way. But good trade unions yeah. lose. <laughs> he lost his first campaign. Now, you're dead right. You look at the teachers, and they're inherently conservative. Inherently, they will not fight for their rights. They will not. And they should be upstand for the rights, but there's nobody going to fight for them. And the trade union movement reflects that in, in teachers. You, the one that really bugs me out altogether is the higher civil paid civil service union. That's not a fucking union. That is not a union. It's not a union. It is high paid individuals using the power of trade unionism to make sure that their earnings what is, don't define get a union touched. In a, define a union in a sentence. To me, it's organized labor. That's right. So why is that not? Why is that? Why that, is you've, that? Just you've just described not one. a union. Okay, that's like you saying. Might like them. That's like saying IBEC is a union. No, what IBEC IBEC is an affiliation of businesses. What do Congress you think that, a union. that's an, it's an affiliation of unions. That's an affiliation of very rich civil servants. It isn't. It's arse a union. And if it can come out and denigrate a whistleblower like my friend Shane Core, who is actually a trade unionist, who is actually a worker, and this union can come out and say, "Oh, he did wrong when the man yeah. didn't do wrong." But unions dem- denigrate. Workers all the time. It doesn't mean they're not unions. You've people, pa- you've, you've unions passing strikes last week. You've one union, one union denigrating a member from another union, and that union sitting there with its Tom saying or not saying anything back, not saying fuck off, you mega rich assholes. You should be in IBEC, not in any union. There's nobody on that level of money that should be in a union. And we'll take it back to the likes. But IBEC is an affiliation of businesses. Now, hold on. We'll take it back to... IBEC's a lobbying group. Yeah. That's yeah, it is. That's what yeah. they are. Lobbying groups. No, but These, that's... But, 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 but you're... But, you're but we'll, we'll take That's it. like saying anybody who 
That's like saying that, like if Google average employees on 120 grand and they all got together and call and started a union, they shouldn't be allowed. Oh, hold on. Because you, they we'll take for much. an example. We'll look at the NUJ for an example. And we'll take an example of the NUJ. 30% of the NUJ's membership, self-employed contractors, 30%. At the top end, that's the people who are getting mega money. Now, their contributions to the NUJ are quite substantial mm. to the NUJ. So they want that. I don't that know. Is the NUJ based on percentages? Well, I know that 30% of the NUJ membership is self-employed or contractor or whatever. Okay, so they're depending on that. Do you know how many journalists are left in the NUJ? Any idea? No. Absolutely in the minority in the NUJ, completely and utterly. What is it there for? It exists now for people who put out press statements, for people who should never have been part of the NUJ or now part of the NUJ. So the core values, the National Union of Journalists, is gone. Well, but just to, to, just to, to come back to, to union, to where unions come from, though. In Ireland now, you said that unions were, were established. Um, as an afterthought, in Ireland, in the Constitution, the 1937 Constitution, um, which was, you know, I call it a property and God-driven conservative yeah. drivel, right? But nevertheless, for all of that, it's provided for a right of association. So the founding fathers or whatever they were, they were fathers, mm. they weren't mothers anyway. Um, the founding fathers... Um, based on our whatever, our revolutionary past or whatever, saw a value in putting in the constitution, um, a right of association. And that right of association should and would have been intended to, to deliver uh, the right of association for people in work, i.e. the right to organise, uh, the right to collective bargaining and all that would flow from that. However, what happened next, something that's not in the constitution at all, an elite the elite are called judges. The elite then put in an equal and opposite implied right of disassociation. That's not in the Constitution, but through judicial interpretation of the Constitution, they asserted that there was an equal and opposite right of disassociation. So all of the good intent that would have been there for the right to, to organise, to have trade unions, have strong unions, to force employers to treat with trade unions, collective was bargaining. <laughs> collective bargaining, was immediately dissembled by the judiciary and taken away. And we are now today in, in our peer group in the European Union, and what I mean by that is, 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 is old you know, Germany, France, Britain, but they're gone now, but, but even Britain, even the Tories have provided for uh, more, or at least have allowed to, them to keep Blair's collective bargaining legislation, which which he introduced in 1997. So even Tory Britain has better outside the EU has better collective bargaining. Just remember. So I think I think when we're when, when we're when we're criticising the trade union movement, and look, at, I've lots of reasons to criticise it myself. Okay, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah, maybe Brendan, we need to remember but, that that's the background. No, no, but Brendan, mm -hmm. most people, even like there are people listening to this podcast are going. Oh, I thought we had collective bargaining. No. Do you know what I mean? We don't even have a constitutional right to it. In fact, we've con and, 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 you know, but they will have read a headline where it says Leo Varadkar tells uh, employers group that he's going to support us and then no one follows up with the fact, oh, he signed a letter with six other people yeah. saying we're not doing it yeah. and sent it off to the EU, right? So we, you know, that's that's also a failure of media, by the way, is to actually report on that in, in the round, in the full, where, you know, you, you give out a statement and don't follow up it, by the way, that's contradictory. Like, <laughs> but, I, I, no, we need, look, we're conscious of time here, Martin. We uh, need to. I, I look to the States and I'm very hopeful. I see a resurgence in, in unions. There's in the collective states. bargaining in, in 22 states. Yeah. And, and I do see a resurgence and I see, I, like, I like the old Teamster kind union. I think, you, you know, you need to be that. Ah, you're a tug, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you need, to, a union needs to be tough. You know that, yeah. Brandon. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You need, you know that. You have to fight for your workers' rights and it is a fight. I think a lot of the union movement in Ireland, through the through the program for prosperity and fairness, forgot how to fight. I'm gonna disagree on one one thing, Martin. What we have, what I've said earlier about the size of our economy, the pool of cash that they have to play with, that helps quell things because in the next budget, they'll do these one-off payments of throwing people some sweeteners to literally keep the frog in the pot to know mm -hmm. that it's, and the frog will go, is it me or is it getting warmer? 
it's not getting that. Maybe it's okay. And that's where we are right now. We're still with a frog in the pot. Things are slowly getting boiling up. But because someone threw you a sugar cube, you're, you're probably going to. And this is where we're struggling right now. We're not making the breakthrough. I also, Brendan, you had an idea a few years ago. You were talking about needing, you know, an alternative to try and get those messages out there. And that's a failure of what I would call the radical left as well. Yeah. We have really failed there. When I'm critical of the likes of Bauer, News Talk and, and RTE, I'm also self-critical of the lack of breakthrough that I've been able to do with my platform. We we, we have thousands of people listening to this. That's great. Mm. It's not it's not on the scale of what we're talking about. Like, you know, like... It's funny we spoke, but you remember we spoke about that and, and we spoke about that and about the trade union movement should have long ago had its own, uh, its own media set up. And, you know, I, I, I keep thinking, I've thought about an awful lot since. Why, why has it never happened? I mean, that is the voice. Well, I think Brendan pointed out, though, it's not. The, it, imagine you rolled in and you said to a trade union group and said, by the way, you're going to have um, the equivalent of Tony and Martin. We wouldn't be representative of all workers because, you know, Brent, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm less than six inches away from the Communist Manifesto here, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I That's... think we would be representative of a lot of thoughts that happen in the in the trade union movement. There's a lot of things not not fully, um, people aren't, people obviously can't be fully aware of everything. But for, for and I can only give the examples that I'm, that I'm aware of that, that, that don't, you know, compromise people and things. So, but for example, when the water charges happened and when that campaign won mm. and, it, and it did win, it, it took down one government and it, seri- and it set the agenda for a second one on, on a huge, on a huge issue. The establishment, the establishment, uh, the political and financial establishment, that's who I mean. The, the, I mean, wealth and the parties that wealth owns, mm-hmm. if I can put it in that sense, mm. right? They don't take that lying down, right? There was a fight back. And the, and because the trade unions had supported the water charges campaign, in fact, had entirely, almost 99% funded it, right? The fight back came in the trade unions. So when a fight back comes in the trade unions, where does it come from? It comes from trade union members. So, you know, I led one of the unions. John Douglas led another one of the unions. Stevie Fitzpatrick left, led another union. Right, so of the three main unions, one of them went, went off and joined Forza, which is fair enough. So the three main unions, CWU, Mandate and Unite, that sponsored the water charges campaign. Each of the leaders of those unions came under a pretty ferocious fight back um, for having the temerity for having led and won the water charges campaign. And if John and Stevie were talking to you now, and maybe they should, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they can say things I can't say. Because they're retired. If John and Stevie um, were talking to you now, they'd be able to tell you some details about how that fight back manifested itself within those unions itself. For And I can, I can tell you this one. For example, the Labour Party, who took a, an absolute pasting on the water charges mm. campaign. The Labour Party called a meeting to find, um, w- w- would there be any members in, in positions of influence in any of those three unions? They formed a committee and they assigned people who are in those three unions to engage within those unions to to effectively um, undermine the leadership at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, that's politics, though, Brendan. That's correct. So, but and I'm only saying that to explain. I, 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 I'm I, only saying that to explain hmm. why things that we because what should have happened, the next evolution that could have happened from the water charges campaign, which was led by the unions and a broad coalition of the, of the, the left, would have been the, well, now let's do something and have a media. There's reasons why that didn't happen. Yes. And there's, there's reasons why the trade unions who'd done something weren't able to follow it up with something else. And I think it's, it, it, I'm having the conversation in the context of understanding those reasons. I, yeah, I, and I do accept it, by the way. I think, no, but I think it's a very fair point, but you also, <laughs> like that doesn't mean that we stop trying. No, we can never stop trying. We can I, 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 like, won. We won the water. Yeah, no, we, we won. Yeah, we did. For now, anyway. For now. Yeah, we did. You look at the UK now and what's happening over there with Thames Water and you see the mess. But for now is good enough, Tony. Yeah. It can never be better than for, than for now. I, I, I'd recommend, I, I tweeted out a, an article by John Schwartz from The Intercept re- earlier and it's really good because he talks about the war now between the 1% and the technocrats that have always supported them, the people mm. with, that we refer to who, who filter the money up to them, you know, be it mm. media, politics and, and how the 1% are even getting angrier now because it's, you know, it's... The protectors. Yeah, and... and, and 
it's very much the case here. We, we, we've we seen all of this. Ireland is usually just a generation behind the US when it comes to these things. That's really the thing. So when we won there, Martin, yeah, it was a win. A win is a win. And I shouldn't take the good out of it. But I also know that we didn't get our constitutional uh, referendum. We didn't get, what well, you know, some of the things that we wanted. And we lost the momentum coming out of that into other other campaigns. Right to change. Right to change was supposed to become something. And it yeah. didn't. You know, but, but we so, had the same with repeal should have been, should have developed into something. It, it did. The far right. But it didn't. So yeah, yeah. we we get these we get these. <laughs> but the far right. No, no, I don't mean the repeal people did no. that. The, the far right learned from repeal. Yes, yes. They, that's, they, 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 there is a coterie of people here that can argue and, oh, and organise around nut job cases. But what they've actually did do successfully in some of those cases is they learned if you stand with someone on a cause, you can then actually ask them to stand with you on your fucking loop the loop cause, yeah. and yeah. that's another issue. Well, okay. Whilst the the right are exploiting that, and they are exploiting it, the left is so so siloed, so stuck in this is my issue. I'm not You're looking identity politics. Oh, that my, stuff. no, no. I, I'm talking about the left, and I'm talking about trade unions. I'm talking about people on the left. There, there's not enough intersectionality going on. Nowhere mm. close to enough intersectionality going on. Like w- we know with with the people that we we get in here, particularly uh, people in, the people who are most intersectional in this country are are traveller movements. Mm. Without doubt, the most intersectional, they absolutely know how to work with other people. They have to, but that's missing. Mm. Hugely. Well, no, it's what the hugely. Brennan says identity politics. I don't like the term, mm. right? I don't like it. No, I did bring it up earlier with, with, with Holly Cairns going, you know, the Irish AOC and how it kind of made mm. my stomach <laughs> queasy. Um, but that sort of stuff, I don't like it. But what I do think we have got this, that's also an opportunity to brand something. So should Holly push back on that? No, she should probably, ad- she's oh, probably, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, but, but my point being though, when you come down to it, then it's like, what categories are you in? Where do you fit? You know, like where, 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 and that's all nonsense. Like, you know, that's all, that's all, that's not going to get anything done. Um, you know, Martin, if we were to turn around in the morning and we, and we were, someone gave me the levers of power, I'd be much more radical than, than, than mm. we probably come across on this mm. podcast. Mm. But I, but I also, but I live in reality, <laughs> Brendan. You know, I live. We, we in, must talk, I, when it comes to law and order. I might be particular. I might be very radical. We, yeah, let's uh, let's <laughs> let, can we finish with that? Go let's on, let's finish with that. I, let's no, 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 let's, let's finish. To, yeah. Let's finish with that. Um, Dublin City, mm. right, is not is not looking our best. Right, the, there there has been um, a huge uh, issue around you know the closing of a Garda station, the temporary nature of a Garda of a, of a Garda appearance. There's been incidences that have you know of absolutely horrendous. Like we've spoken to members of the LGBT community about feeling unsafe and attacks that have happened. All of that, it's, it's horrific, it's barbaric. But there's also an element that have weaponized it to the point where. They want to make it about race. They want to make it about class. They take fifth. They take pictures of kids. Like the, you know, I, there was a video, and forgive me now, but I'm going to tell. There was a video of young fellas. One, one of them was, you know, screaming another, and there was lads running one another, and they, someone. Took, and I said the only difference between that and when I was a young fella, sorry, mammy, was that there wasn't a camera phone That's to take right. a picture of me <laughs> doing right. it. You know, now there is an element, Brendan, that we have a tendency then to say. When I and this is why I push back on you that I did mm. think that there's an element in this where it comes down to these are le- these are other these aren't us sensible people reasonable people you know good people and that's not true that's not true we're we're all no one's one thing and a lot of people you know young fellas are gonna fight they're gonna get into they're gonna get into scraps I'm not I'm not quite one doer but my city was always there was always fights sorry I grew up I I kicked the football and in, in uh, Ormond Square. There was always fights. I play, you know, when there was no Sunday trading, you could go into town and uh, and fucking gangs of young fellas would come up against gangs of young fellas. That's where I grew up. Yeah, I grew up in Dundalk, and there was always fights. Mm. Um, we we made a virtue of them. We used to fight between housing estates. In <laughs> fact, um, we used to fight for pieces of land mm. as we perceived it. Yeah. Um, we'd win well, it today and we'd lose it tomorrow. Yeah, um, and. Um, Young fellas growing up, testing themselves and all of that. That's all, that's all part, part for the course. Um, I don't remember growing up. Um, young girls being thrown out in front of trains. I don't remember growing up um, gangs of youths jumping on the roofs of cars 
uh, stopped at traffic lights. Oh, they did. I Brandon. don't remember. They did. And I came from a tough place. Um, I, 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 hang my, on, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I went, to, I was in a tough place, which I won't name. And my job when we got there was to stand on the balcony and make sure no one jumped up and down on the car. Right. Okay. That was my job was to stand outside. And if this, once they start jumping on the car to call the adults and say, listen, they're going to wreck your cars. My, my, my entry point to this part to this is political. Um, Fine Gael have been in government since 2011. Mm. And we've only ever had Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil left governments, led governments. And Fine, Fine Gael market themselves as being two things. Being uh, fiscally prudent, mm -hmm. which they're not, which on. is falling away, mm. and being the law and order party. Yeah. And that's the angle I take on it. Mm. Because what I see around my offices in Abbey Street, um, my back lane that I drive into the offices called Lots Lane. I know. Um, and I spend a lot of time in, in, in Dublin City Centre, and particularly in Dublin 1. Um, and what I see um, regularly, you know, does not reflect a party that styles itself as a party of law and order that has been in government for 12 years successfully carrying out its own mandate to its own voters mm. and and I think Finnegale I think Finnegale have a, no but I I well I think Finnegale have a weakness there and I think you know they, it, that weakness needs to be exposed politically um if if their base is to be undermined seriously in the election that's my uh perspective on it. Have all, have bad things always happened? Of course they have. And I think it's it's absolutely apparent that that, that the far right will will highlight if 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 somebody that's a colour they don't like or from an city they don't like does something, but if an Irish person does something or a white person does something, they don't want to talk about it. You know, they, that all that stuff is horrific. But the part of Dublin and, and lots of lots of it now is I don't know if it's because, you know, there wasn't drugs when I was growing up. There were bottles when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there was bottles of cider and some. Oh no! I remember the drug epidemic. Yeah, I wasn't didn't grow up in Dublin, so maybe slightly different. Now I was out in the burbs. Where were you? Out in the burbs. He was in Port Marnock. Port Marnock. Plenty of drugs. I heard about that. But I remember going away from there. I heard about you. All right, Okay. If I if I I want to bring us to a wrap on this because we have been talking. I agree with Tony. Dublin has always been dirty, old Dublin, and it has always been dirty, and it has always. I don't think it's any more less unsafe than it was when you don't I was think O'Connell Street is less unsafe than it was 10 years ago I used to walk home from I was living up on Nockridge Georgia Street I used to walk home from Temple Bar because I was working in Temple Bar till 6, 7 o'clock some mornings 5 other mornings mm. I'd never walk home O'Connell Street I'd always come across mm. the Amy Bridge down Liffey Street because O'Connell Street was too dangerous now that's 30 years ago Brendan so no I don't think O'Connell Street is any worse than it was 30 years ago uh, do you know what's wrong with it now Martin is that there was, um, there was retail units that were mm. um, more established that were more like I mean don't, the don't, amount of no the amount of vacancy on it yeah. now oh, and oh. dereliction on it Martin like, like it's Main Street Ireland and they're all like you're like I I'm I could tell you stories oh, about the ownership oh, of buildings Listen, on O'Connell Street I could put okay so we're lo we're looking at this in the round has has. Dublin gotten any worse? Look, it was always pretty damn bad. Depend depending on it's where a big you, city. There's always depending going to be on happening. on. I mean, I was in Sheriff Street yesterday. I've been going down to Sheriff Street since I was a small boy. Mm. Um, there were times when I wouldn't have walked down Sheriff Street, but I feel quite safe walking down Sheriff Street now. Yeah, but it's been it's been hemmed in by the Google Docs. Though. That's, it, it, so it's I feel strange. quite safe walking down it now, and I do. But there was a time in the past when I didn't. Now I do. What do I think of the trade union movement in Ireland? What do I think it's... That's some segue. No, no. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is all of this exists because there's a power imbalance. What you've said about Fine Gael, that they, this is the party floor, I kind of disagree with That's you. That's how they market themselves. I disagree too, by what, the way. What I think well, the big change in Ireland... Let me just get to this. The big change in Ireland is in the past we were poor and we were poor. We were all poor. We only knew poor people. Mm. The, the people you live next door were in the same circumstances you are. What Fine Gael have changed is... It is now for a certain section of society absolutely de rigueur to be ostentatious about your wealth and to rub it into people's faces. It's, and that 
didn't exist in the past. They were a bit demure about the wealth they had. The houses were hidden up laneways. They weren't right in your face. Even take it on a development for an estate now. When you walk into a, an estate, the best houses are at the front of the estate. They're the, the four-bed semi-Ds, then you go in the next level, you have your three-bed uh, terrace, and then you go down the back, and you have your rental purchase, or you have your your social, your, your which, is a bar, which is accommodation. So that's how they have layered Ireland. From the front, you see something nice. The deeper you go, the poorer well, it gets. Well, I'm going to say one final point on Dublin City, Dublin City and how it is. The problem, Brendan, you put it as a law and order issue. The problem is we have too many people who give out all fucking time, excuse my language, but they really annoy me. Someone referred to them as the bollard fascists, <laughs> right? They, they think that it's more criminal that we have, you know, 17 signposts on College Green rather than the people that are sleeping. Yeah. In in the street, in the yeah. in in the doorways, and those people, they're in, they're in, they're on, sitting on Dublin City Council. They're sitting in government, and they're talking about great news today. I'm after getting rid of the old phone box there now, and uh, we're doing, and this is the sort of stuff that we're doing about. So they're not serious about it, and that's why I think there's an opportunity to actually say, well, you know what? Actually, if you tackled the inequality we're talking about, I, I think you'd, I think you'd actually clean up the streets a lot quicker. Last point for me, Brandon, if trade unionists, and you're a trade unionist, down to your bones, you're a trade unionist, okay? That stage of your life is moving on. You are now in your mid-50s, heading into... I very I dare you. I, I won't say you're heading into twilight years, but you're heading into the fishing pole, the, the rocking boat. You're heading down that road. Are you going to embrace that? properly are you going to fight against like i think there comes a time when you've done enough that you're quite happy it's quite content to put your feet up and say i've done enough have you reached that point yet no no i i didn't my my doctor puts it best uh my oncologist he says you didn't beat cancer to live half a life uh i come back i beat cancer to come back to do what to do what i've always done and be what i've always been um, and, you know, I like to think that that's sometimes winning, oftentimes not, but always fighting uh, for a fairer uh, society uh, and a more equal society and a redistribution, as I say, and for workers' rights. That's who I am. It's not, it's not what I do. It's who I am. I don't see myself, you know, suddenly, you know, taking an interest in knitting or winemaking or something like that. No. Um, so that that's what I'm going to try to do. I think there's a few fights left in me, Martin. No, I think um, there is, yeah. So, you know, I, who, God knows who those fights will be against, but they could it's, be interesting. It, it's more who you'll be standing alongside in those fights. That's the more interesting. And we always know who they're against. It's I, who's standing with you. I'm going to end on, on a bit of a laugh you, Brendan. You mentioned you're a big fan of Lionel Messi, right? Mm. One of my late friends was a season ticket holder for Barcelona and uh, he made his debut, was it 2004? He came off the bench against oh, Espanyol, yeah, that's right. and it was Ronaldinho's team. Yeah, and I was in this, I was in the arena, I was in the stadium, and I had no clue. And he came on, and um, my friend, whose father, who was whose ticket I'd come in on, had said to me, "Oh, watch out for this guy; he's going to be brilliant." And I said, "That little fella." He goes, "Yeah, that little hobbit." I swear, I said, "That little yeah. hobbit." He said, <laughs> "He said, yeah." I said, "I said he's never going to make it." And he looked at me like a ten heads. He scored with a second touch. Yeah, he right. scored in his debut. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it ruled out for offside. And um, I looked around. and I said, "No, someone's going to take his legs." And I've been calling it ever since. I was right then and right now. I don't care what he's won. <laughs> he's never going to make <laughs> he's it. Never any good. You're Brandon, still waiting for Lionel Messi to make it. Yeah, come on, Brendan. Thanks for coming in and having this conversation. I do always like to see a person because I like to see that you're doing okay. Yeah, you too, Martin. You're like you're you're a local man. You're still fighting. I know like, you've had a tough I, year. I know. Um, I know. In the background, there are the, you know, if there's two people fighting. If me and Brendan are fighting at the end of the year, at least somebody's fighting. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Listen, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks for liking, sharing, Daniel, tell everybody whatever. But uh, yeah, like, we go back to it. Don't uh, don't stop fighting and, and become uh, become the belligerent activist every now and then. It doesn't hurt, you know. A little bit of belligerence goes a long way. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.